I can bail five minutes. Okay. There it is. All right, and that's the signal to start. Thank you for being here on a wet, rainy morning. You guys have uh, visitors, family coming this summer who have been disappointed. We did hear from the Tourist Bureau down in Seattle. They said, we want to rain back. <laughs> uh, it's been a wet, wet summer. But thank you for being here. Uh, this is our summer series uh, class on the Gospel of John, and so that's your signal from the start. If you didn't already know to go there, is in your Bible. Uh, make your way over to the New Testament and find the fourth of the Gospels there. You'll go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and find John. And uh, led mostly this summer by Tim. Thank you very much for all your help in this class. Uh, we've been trying to take a thematic view of John. So you notice we're not going through verse by verse or even chapter by chapter. What we're trying to do is to all get in one of those tourist helicopters, you know, if you're, you are a tourist somewhere, that will take you up to altitude, fly you over a region, and point out some really interesting things, where later, as the tourist, you'll get back in your car, put on your hiking boots, and go back and actually see up close some of the things that you saw from on high. That's what we're trying to do with John, is to take you through and show you some of the major themes, so that when you do what you are supposed to do, which is to read John from the start to the end, or listen to John, listen to somebody else reading that, or watch it in some of the video presentations, but, but so that you, you actually follow the gospel from start all the way to the finish, that suddenly all of these things that we've touched on this summer will start just leaping off the page, and you'll be invited into deep reflection and meditation on each section. So that's been, that's been our goal overall. Hopefully that's been helpful to you. And you've had a chance at least once to read it through, start to finish. And if you've done that once, you know there is a pull to go back and do it again, or go to back certain sections. So we'd like to begin each class just to ask, have any of you uh, either read John this week, or in your reflections on what you've read, uh, did anything stand out uh, to you this week? Yes, Steve. Wow. He still tried to do it. Wow. Yeah, thank you. Steve just points out to us that uh, there in John 13, before Jesus washes the disciples' feet, we're given a little glimpse into what he knew. He knew where he came from, where he was going. He knew those he was sent uh, to. And knowing all of this, he put the towel around his waist and washed it. What a powerful moment. Thank you. So the recommendation to watch, there's actually videos. Did you watch the YouTube video? The, oh, Tubi channel. Yeah, there's so many different ways you can get to this, but uh, you can watch the entire book of John as it's being narrated. And if it's the one that I'm thinking of, I've watched that. In fact, I listened to it on the way here. You can have it streaming. And uh, I got through chapter one and part of chapter two. And it's just done so well because it ignites your mind and your imagination and put you right there as you hear the story being read. Yeah, thank you. It's very powerful. I think there was one more. Yeah, yeah Tony. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a great statement too. The comment that really John is is in the middle of a much larger book, which is Genesis to Revelation, one large story. But then you drop into John and you see, in this case, the word life. Once you've seen the theme, you can't unsee it as you're reading through the story. You think, whoa, this is really what the whole arching story is all about. And John helps point you to the author of life. Yeah. Sorry, I went off on my own sermon there with you. <laughs> but that's a great reflection. Well, I hope each of you will take time. Again, the, John was not written to be taught in a summer Bible class. It was meant to be read, reread, and reflected upon uh, throughout a lifetime. And I hope you're finding the, the joy that's in that. Well, John gives away the whole purpose of the book in John chapter 20. And we try to begin each class by uh, reading the theme verse, which is out of John 20, verse 30. It's up on the screen now, but if you want to find that in your text. And this is where John tells us the point of the whole book. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. And if you've read the book, you know all these signs that we're introduced to. Uh, But those other signs were not written in this book. But these that you've read are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, or Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, let me give you a little Mm -hmm. glimpse into what our relationship has become over this summer. Uh, On multiple occasions, we'll sit down, sometimes at a coffee shop, sometimes in our home, and we say, okay, let's take about an hour, collate what we've read together, and put together a plan for class. And inevitably, every time we've done that, three hours later, we're getting texts from family saying, (laughs) where are you? (laughs) Are you dead? (laughs) Because we just get sucked into that. And what we've tried to recreate here is maybe just a little glimpse of what it's like for Tim and I to be sitting at Kaladi. Uh, there's no way for us to act this out, but just it'd be fun to show you just how excited we get there in a coffee shop <laughs> talking yeah. about what we, we read in John. We, we definitely nerd out a little bit. Total, total <laughs> nerd. And you would probably get up and leave if we really started yeah, <laughs> acting okay. that way here. But uh, one of the things that struck us in yesterday's three-hour conversation is this word life that we talked about before that you see here. There's another word for life in John. You know what that word is? It's today's theme word. It's the word light. And in John, those are used almost synonymously. We'll, we'll run into that after a while. But that leads us to our opening kind of question. Which I don't, Do folks know that you're a mechanical engineer? I don't know. Okay, so here we have a mechanic. We have an expert, mechanical engineer. <laughs> in your work, do you guys work with light? You know, you asked me that yesterday, and I hadn't really thought about it. Uh, to be honest, because I think most people, when you think of mechanical, you think of linkages and joints and that kind of stuff. But in our world today, everything is digitized. Uh, everything has a control panel of some kind. And then everything needs power. Everything needs energy. And what is energy? But it's, it's light. You know, energy is, as molecules move around and they heat up and electrons are flying around, uh, you get light, always. And then if, for those of our Einstein fans out there, what is the definition of energy? It's mass times the speed of light squared. So e if you equals ha- mc squared, and yeah. the c is is the speed of light. And so, if you have no light, you have no energy. If you have no energy, you have no life. And if you have no life, well, I don't know why we'd be sitting here. <laughs> wow. So I think, which makes you then wonder: Well, what is light? What does it mean when you think of that? 
Um, and, and we're going to do a little demonstration in a moment, but before that, I kind of, we want to put it out to you. When you think of the word light, what comes to mind? How do you think of that word in your normal day-to-day -day life? So, yeah, illumination. You light up a room, just like we're in right now. There, we can visibly see what's happening because of light. Which is a great segue. I'm going to jump off that unless there's a there you Tony. Go. Uh, Tony had one. Living in Keno for 20 years, just drive somewhere where there is ambient light. You know there's a difference. Ah. Oh, so being in Kenai, where it's dark a lot, you don't maybe have as many street lights, especially in the winter. You want to go somewhere where there is light, so you can see something. <laughs> get away from the darkness, get a break. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Court? Well, light is sometimes a symbol for good, goodness. Huh? Yeah, a symbol. A uh, symbol for goodness. You know, someone who is bringing light or something like those connotations. Especially what you're going to find in John. So, so okay, I can't wait anymore. Right, I think it's going to be sure. fun. Yeah. Okay, so I solicited Court to do us a favor, and he's super excited about it. Um, he's going to read something. I think, did, you know, which verse did you pick? Yeah, yeah, if I can see it. If he can see it. Come on, glasses. Yeah, John uh, 13, 34, and 35. John 13. John 13, 34, and 35. So just read verse 34. Okay, go ahead. And now, Mr. Ken, if you would do me the honors of turning the lights off. Court, could you now read verse 35? Uh, no. <laughs> I need illumination. You need illumination. Well, <laughs> and Mary Ellen's right on time with her handheld light, which we all now have. But, so, but let's just take a moment and ponder what is happening. Did you lose the ability to read? Did the text vanish from the page? Did all of a sudden the English language change and you can't comprehend what the words are? So what is the problem? You can't see. Well, what does that have to do with electrons and photons and all of that stuff? I mean, what's, you lost visibility, which seems to transcend the mechanics of light. Because as you pointed out, it also can mean goodness. Ken, thank you. You can turn it back on. There's something that happens when you lose light. Yeah. And now you recognize that what's lost is not what exists. It was your ability to detect what exists. Another example of that, my experiment, which we won't run here because I'd just take extra time. But let's say that one of you, just for fun, decided to call me, make my phone ring right in the middle of class. And I pick up that phone. Do, do you know what made my phone ring? And when we're talking, do you know what is allowing us to communicate? It's another form of light. Yeah, it's it's yeah, radio waves. Yeah, and so light we find, I mean, it's just at a wavelength you can't see. So we have the visual spectrum. That's what you can all see now with colors and so forth. But do you realize light can be infrared? You can't detect that. Some animals maybe can. There's the ultra. Uh, violet type, and then you go up into radio waves and all kinds of things that run. All, so you, right now you are surrounded. Even when the room was dark, you were surrounded by all kinds of light. And the bulk, and the bulk of light you can't detect. 
You have no idea it's there. You're at, we're only actually able to pick up a small percentage of the spectrum of light. Um, so even when we talk about light, we're not even talking about the physical ramifications of what that means because we can't perceive it. We have, no, we have no comprehension of it. So that's where we were getting a little geeky yesterday thinking about, wow, you realize light is more than just, hey, there's a light bulb. We were, we were realizing light are these photons, whatever that is, packets of energy that have wavelength and frequencies and sometimes behave like matter, sometimes like a wave, and it just started to blow our mind. It led to this question, is that, is that what the Bible's talking about in Genesis where we read that the Spirit of God is hovering over the water, where there's this darkness over the deep, and God in that moment says, let there be light. All of that that we thought about. That's a great question that I think lots of people have pondered over the years. When you, when you get to Genesis and you're approached with this concept of let there be light, um, you're meant to then immediately follow up with, wait a minute, the sun hasn't been made. So what is he talking about? Um, and even in ancient context, what was their understanding of light? Was it sparking rocks together? Was it making a fire? Was it this big ball in the sky or stars? Um, and you're meant to grasp something beyond that. You know, the, as you read through the story of Genesis, you notice there's lots of symbolism in there. There's lots of hidden layers that you don't necessarily pick up on in the first read-through. And this idea of light existing before our understanding of what would physically govern those things is meant to cause you to ponder. What is this light? What is he talking about? Where is it coming from? Um, and thankfully, you have a, your Bible contains two-thirds uh, information of what your ancient e Hebrew authors thought it meant. And you'll find out none of them thought it meant something that was tangible that they, could, that they could hold or something that they looked at. It was something much more significant uh, and much deeper as, as we're going to hopefully highlight just briefly. Yeah, and just to clarify what you're saying there, you're saying that if I said, hey, point to a light in this room, if I pointed to that light bulb, I'm not pointing to light. And that's similar to what we read in Genesis where there was no sun. When God said, let there be light, and there was light, there was no sun yet. Oh. And in the ancient world, there were those two, you taught me yesterday, those two, in the ancient world, there were only two real sources of light, which was either the big ball in the sky shining the sun or fire. Fire. Yeah, those two. And both of which are used um, quite often in the Hebrew Bible, but never in reference to sitting next to a fire or observing a sunset. They all have hidden deeper meanings. So uh, where, where, does, where does light show up throughout our Old Testament? Uh, well, there's a whole lot of them. Um, and depending on which one you want to hone in on, we'll, we'll mess with your head. Um, just a few of them. And again, that's just to touch the surface. Uh, one of the, my favorite ones would be Ezekiel. You go to chapter 1, and the entire chapter is full of this, of this wording and these phrases referring to light. You'll find things talking about um, Ezekiel has a vision of God, and as he's having this vision, he sees flashing light. Uh, he's mentioned he sees bright light. He sees gleaming metal or polished bronze. He sees torches. He, see, he sees coals on fire. He sees all these references to fire, and, and it's in this image of what he's seeing of God in some heavenly place and just surrounded by light. I mean, 
And even as you go through, uh, one of the fun ones is when you go to Moses, when he goes up on the mountain and he sees God, he talks about going through uh, the rakia or this sphere that like protects this world that God has made. And he says it shines bright like topaz. Um, it, it's this blue essence that it gives off. It's not the sky. It's something in the heavenly realm that he's seeing. Uh, it's all the connotations you see when, you, when they talk about, oh, I saw God sitting on his throne in his robe and all the glowing and all the fire and all these things that you notice. Um, light is pivotal to the essence of who God is. Um, you come across, uh, you know, you, and I'm sure we're all familiar with like um, Psalms 119 where he talks about your word is a lamp to my feet and it guides my path. How does a stone tablet or a parched paper light your path? They're not talking about visible spectrum. They're talking about this revelation and this understanding that as you learn God, as you follow him, you can see better. Things become more visible as you understand the commands and the precepts and what God is trying to teach you. Um, and, and there's a whole laundry, laundry list of things. Um, I mean, one of the best ones is, is uh, Malachi chapter 4. And he talks about, uh, you know, the day will come when the sun will rise with healing in its wings. The power of light was healing the nations. You, you get to Jesus, and they talk about the coming Messiah, and he'll bring light to the nations. Was he talking about he's going to make sure there's no clouds? Was he going to make sure you could see the sunset or the sunrise? No, he's talking about bringing this revelation uh, to the world. And essentially, and, and Paul picks up on that when he's going through Acts. What does he do? This revelation is he brings the Gentiles into the fold, into God's kingdom. And so... We're, you have to sort of start to break your, your concept of this word light because the way we use it in our modern day doesn't fit with the scriptural understanding that it has a, it has a much deeper meaning that you're meant to pick up on um, especially uh, when you get to Jesus uh, in the book of John it's just going to start standing out at you and if you had the full essence of the Hebrew Bible loaded into your mind as you were uh, hearing the words of Jesus or listening to the apostles all these things would start jumping out at you uh, and it would just start messing with you. So let's do that. Let's figure out where in John do, does light come up. I'm sorry, I've lost the ability to put that on the screen. There's somebody in here who knows how to display on the screen. We'll go back to that. But, yeah, let's use old school technology, which you have in your hand, too. Where does light show up in John? John 1. Was it? I heard John. John 1, yeah. John 1, yeah, right away. So it starts in the prologue, doesn't it? Let's, uh, is this a good time just to read the prologue? Yeah. Let's do that. Let's read the prologue, and I'm actually going to read the whole prologue, uh, verse 1 all the way through uh, 18. When we do an extended reading, sometimes your brain turns off and goes to other places. Let's see if you can lock in on this entire passage, and then the question will be, where do we find light? Just in the, the opening pages of John. So John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind or human beings. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man who was sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now he, meaning John, was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, 
or you might say the real light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from him his fullness, or excuse me, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Well, where does light show up there in the prologue? In the beginning. <laughs> you notice, if you're meant to catch, there's a decoder ring in verse 4. It tells you what light is. Did you, picture, did you see that? It tells you exactly what it is. It says it's life. And when we talked about two weeks ago, trying to hone in on what that means, you're meant to then pick up all those connotations of what life really is. And John's, John's statement here is that the light, again, you upload everything you know from the Hebrew Bible, that is life. It gives life. And then as you start then going through all of John and the rest of the prologue, you're meant to tie that together. And as our little experiment showed, you're also meant, I mean, this idea of sight and blindness, light and dark, life and death, they're all intermixed. You can't break them apart. You know, that's why we go back to this phrase, you can't teach this in sections. It's meant to be taught as one big chunk because they all, they all work together to bring you a realization of who Jesus really is. That he brings you this, this, this light that shines on you uh, you know, again, going back to the invisible spectrum, you know, there's all kinds of things interacting with your body at this exact moment that you're unaware of. And, and you're, I think you're meant to pull into that. You know, Paul will talk about, you know, the invisible the things you can't see, the things you can't perceive, but that doesn't make them less real. If anything, it makes them more real, you know. And, and I always like to go back and think about, um, uh, you know, when Moses got the instructions for the tabernacle, the tabernacle he built was not the real one. He built a, a replication of something that he saw that was real, that was more real than he was. And, and you're meant to hone in on those kind of ideas of, you know, this, this world in which we live, the things in which I see, it's not the epitome. It's not, it's not the full ramification of life. There's something deeper. There's something more meaningful. And that's what you hunt for. That's what you seek for. That's what you knock for. That's what you ask for to go find those things. I like how you call that a decoder ring there at the first and then that takes you back, as you just demonstrated, suddenly it explodes, the whole Bible it comes open to you, and you start seeing what light means. Whole scripture. Did you see light anywhere else in the prologue? Okay, John was not the light. And we said this several weeks ago, but for those of you that weren't there, it's important to know, this John is not the John that wrote the Gospel of John. He's talking here about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was not the light. Yeah. 
that we learn about. That's what we learn about light here in the prologue. What else do we learn about light in Jesus in the prologue? The darkness didn't understand it. What's that? The darkness didn't understand it. Oh, it's interesting that you use the word understand. Yeah, Tracy says the darkness did not understand. Is that what your version says? No, it says comprehend. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's this huge debate about what does that word mean. It actually means a lot of things. Yeah, it could mean overcome. Like the, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness... But that's exactly right. My point is that John, he had all these words he could have picked, and he picks a word that has this full meaning. So that when you think of this room being dark and we have one light you know, on, the darkness could not overcome that one source of light. And that, but that also could be a way of saying that if you understand something... Uh, there, there's no amount of un-understanding that could overcome that. You know, <laughs> that darkness cannot get rid of something you understand and comprehend. And in his world, it meant both, kind of at the same time. Isn't that beautiful? How he picks a word that could just have these layers and layers. Sorry, we get off excited about what we learn. It's also eternal death. Oh. So Liz brings out, and you're catching that, glimpses of that in the prologue, that darkness is associated with death, light with life, and then you threw in the word eternal. Have you ever noticed that at the end of Revelation, we're told, new heaven, new earth, and God is its light. And when does that light go out? In Revelation. Do you know how long that day is? It's called one day unto the age. It's light unto the age. That light never goes away. And so that's a good catch that John is... <laughs> and that's, and that's, a, I mean, that's a great theme to home in on because that's, that's a theme that comes from the Old Testament. This everlasting light. Read through Isaiah and the bulk of Isaiah is speaking about this coming hope, this coming Messiah who will, who will bring about eternal light. No more night. Um, you know, and it's real hard, I think, for us modern Westerners to think this way. But imagine if you lived, uh, I don't know, when was the light bulb invented? The 18-something? Thomas Edison, he invented that. <laughs> a couple hundred years well ago? Back. Well back. So go back before that time, and all you had was something you lit on fire to see when there was no natural light. Um, you didn't have street lights, you didn't have a cell phone, you didn't have beep-boops on all your devices, you know. You had to, pretty much when the day ended, your day was over. You went home, there was a fire that maybe illuminated what you could see in that area, and that was about it. You didn't travel much, you didn't go around much. So to talk about no more night when it was a huge part of your day-to-day life, it dictated you know, what you did that day. You had so much time to get it done because you couldn't do it any more in the evening. And we have some metaphors like that today. You know, If you're driving in the middle of the night, most people don't like to do that because it's harder to see because your visibility is limited. And so to talk about this idea, what do you mean there's no more night? You know, and then you get to Revelation. What do you mean there's no need for the sun or for the moon? And there's just this eternal brightness all the time. Yeah. Um, it really starts to mess with your head as you chew on it and, and spend time with it. That's right. And did you catch that John points out in the prologue that Jesus is, he uses this word true. Not just that he is the light. He is the true light. Or you could, the word means the same. He's the real light. 
the verse, the true light or the real light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, if this is your first time to read John, you'll read that and think, wow, what a poetic statement. Once you go through all of John and then come back, you realize, whoa, (laughs) what does he mean by real? So that's a question that, that we've talked about a little bit, but I think you have a great point that you make that light in John is not being used symbolically. So yeah, one of the struggles I had when we first started talking about this topic was I'd always understood when, and, and I'm sorry, we're going to have to touch on quickly on, on 8.12, but Jesus makes this claim. I am the light of the world. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, I assumed that was a, that was a metaphor. That, that was just, oh, it meant he was good. It meant he was bringing something uh, wholesome into the world and trying to squash evil. Um, but it's not a metaphor. And if, if you, it's real hard to explain in just a few minutes. But none of the other themes in John are metaphors. Life and death, they're not metaphors. Sight and blindness, they're not metaphors. So this idea of light shining on you has ramifications when it does. And, you know, I was watching something the other day talking about um, people who um, were living horrible lives. You know, gang members, drug dealers, um, you know, things of that nature. And people who had... Who had unbelievably changed to follow Jesus. Their lives were 180. And to say that the light of Jesus wasn't shining on them would be inaccurate to say. Something from this divine source, from a heavenly realm, is is empowering them. I mean, where does the Spirit come from? Does it come from, from this place that we know? I mean, it wasn't created. It comes from something above, which is the same thing Jesus claims. I'm not from this creation. Or you'll see the word world which essentially just involves anything that was created. And so you're being given a, a light, a power source, if you will, um, to reflect this energy. I don't know how else to say it, but then, I mean, spend time, we're, spend time in Paul's letters. Um, you're, we're called these things, sons of light, um, children of light, and, and those kind of connotations. They're not metaphors. You know, Jesus says, you know, you'll be a city set on a hill and no one can, can, can squash out your light. Um, you, as, you, as you hone in on this power source, you then become a reflection of it. And so Jesus is slowly and methodically placing little bits of himself into people all over the world. And it spreads the kingdom and it pushes this darkness out, a darkness which is not a metaphor. When you, I mean, think of your own lives. Um, I think some of the most powerful uh, people of faith, of some of the people who have experienced the darkest things that this world can offer. And when you've, when you've reached the pits of evil, and Jesus reveals his light to you, you just appreciate it all the more. You shine in it all the more. Um, and, and yeah, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's not talking metaphorically. He's talking literally. Um, he was the creative light that, that made this place. He is the force behind that makes you shine and set you apart and let you have his mission and his purpose spread through this world. Uh, but now that we hit on 8.12, we have to talk about it. I think it we have today. to go to 8.12. <laughs> yeah, turn over to uh, John 8.12. And see, what are we talking about here? Let's see if we can draw a picture for you. Because I, I think really the point in the, what really clicked with me is, if you start with Genesis, when God said, let there be light, it's interesting in Hebrew, this is not one of those times where he said, I'm going to create something, and it was so. That's everything else he creates. He says, God made this, and it was so. Or he said this, and it was so. But with light, it's different. With light, he says, let there be light, and there be light. 
it's all there. But what was there was not what I had in mind as, oh, there was bright, shining something that I could see. And did you, we're getting away from it a little bit, but did you see in the prologue all the different references to things that were about light? Glory, understanding, being able to see, made him known. Things were coming into existence. And now we turn over to 8.12, and let's, before we read the passage, can we set the, should we set the stage first? Yes. This was new, I think, for us, or at least we hadn't thought about it deeply if we even knew about about it. it, no. So most of you will understand that in the wilderness, they set up a tent, tabernacle, that's where God came, he would lead them to new places, they would set up God's tent, then that incredible shining pillar of fire would come down and fill the temple. And so he would live out there among these tents. Well, as... Uh, they moved into cities, and later a temple is built, so there's a physical structure that God worshipped in. They were still given the commandment to practice seven different holidays. And so Jews would, throughout really their summer, from their, uh, their first month all the way through the seventh month, they had seven different holidays they were to practice on a regular basis. Now, one of those was every Sabbath. Another one was the Passover. Another one was called the Feast of, uh, of, of first fruits, and then their Feast of Weeks, and there's one of trumpets. They had all these that go along. You've probably heard of Rosh Hashanah or uh, the Day of Atonement. But do you know what the very last of their celebrations, their holidays, when they all got off work by law and got to be at home and celebrate, the very last of those was called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Think of it as Feast of Tents. This was their family camp. This is when everybody was required to leave their house, grab their tent, set up the tent, and go out. And as a family for seven days, even in the middle of a big city like Jerusalem, they all pulled out their tent, went in the backyard, and they lived in these tabernacle-like tents. And every day, uh, there in the temple, in what was called the, the Court of Women, this was the outer part that anybody could go into, the Gentiles. Well, I just thought, that's powerful when you think about it. These lights were set up in that, and these weren't just little lamps. Uh, in the court year area of the temple, there were lamps that were 75 feet high. Huge. Hey, you're a mechanical engineer. How high is this? Uh, it's probably maybe 30, 35 feet. Okay, so twice as high as this. Imagine a pillar, huge lampstand, twice or more higher than this. Or, you know, buildings in town go up to the seventh and a half floor. Uh, that's how, how tall these were. And there were four bowls on the top of each of these that would hold oil. And then each day of this feast or ceremony, uh, uh, Levites, probably the younger of the priests, <laughs> would climb up these ladders holding oil, and they would refill these bowls at the top. And then they would rip up old uh, priest garments that had gotten old in the year before, and they would make wicks out of that that would go in the top. And then, I don't know what their lighters were back then, but they had to have something to light it with. But at evening time, when darkness came, They would light those lamps. And then this light would shine from above the courtyard over the whole temple area. And then we're told, what was that line? It it says, from these lamps were so bright it penetrated every courtyard in Jerusalem. Yeah, maybe maybe a little bit of hyperbole. I mean, I think they stretched a little bit probably, but the idea is that it it lit up the entire city. These were not just little lights. Yeah, these would be huge lights. And then when the lights were lit... There was this huge orchestra on the steps leading up into the temple. And so these trumpets would be blown and the lyre, not telling an untruth, but the instrument, whatever that sounds like, those would have been played. (laughs) So all of their instruments would be played and people would be singing and yelling and dancing. And there was this huge celebration right there in the courtyard. 
Think of it sort of like a 4th of July celebration where these lights, you know, the, the, uh, the fireworks are going off. And that's the scene every night of the Feast of... All night long. All night. And all they, night till dawn. And they would keep it up, yeah, all night. And the last night was the one of the greatest celebration where the lights are shining above the temple. And I bet in your mind you can, you can imagine what they were remembering if there's light above the temple area, in their mind they were remembering what it was like for their ancestors to have been out in the wilderness and to look out from all of their tents and see this light above the temple. And what that was like to see that light come down into the tabernacle and fill the tabernacle. And they celebrated, God is with us. And it was the light that brought all of that to mind. And then at the end of the feast, the lights would be extinguished and they would go back to the rest of their year. What you may not catch, but you will now, when you read through John, is in chapter 7, it says, on the last day of the feast of booths. We are now on the last day. The lights have just been turned out. And there's this guy who stands out in the courts and he says, 8 verse 12. You want to read that? That's the setup. Oh, I got it here. Um, so yeah, it says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Oh. <laughs> Do you sense the power of that? That Jesus, on the day of this feast, when they're celebrating God's presence, and he says... And the lights now have gone out. And Jesus walks up and says, everything you were just remembering, I am the light of the world. And then the invitation, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And I think it's a great visual too, because as you, you know, you remember, they're, they're, they're celebrating when their ancestors, when they lived in tents for 40 years, and what was some of the most prominent fire they would have been familiar with, most prominent light, uh, was the very first time it appears is when they're fleeing from Egypt. And they come to the, the Reed Sea, and Pharaoh's approaching with his armies, and he's ready to slaughter them. They had no way to defend themselves. And what happens? A gigantic pillar of fire comes down from heaven and stands between their enemy and God's people. And then that same pillar of fire then leads them every night. And what does it lead them through? It's so obvious, but yet it's, it, you don't catch it. He leads them through the darkness every night for 40 years. He protects them every night. And then, yeah, I didn't notice until I looked it up yesterday, but I'd always known about the cloud coming down when they, when they um, commemorate the, the tabernacle. But then it says, in just a little, little verse right afterwards, every night the tent glowed with fire because of the presence of God. They knew what this meant. And then, yeah, for Jesus to come in and say, exactly the, the light and the fire you're celebrating, that's me. That's who I am. I was the thing that protected your ancestors. I was the thing that led them in the desert. I was the glory that filled the temple. And it's now standing in front of which, you. Which explains the rest of chapter 8. Oh, absolutely. Right, because the very next thing, what is it, the... the uh Pharisees, teachers of the law, they ask Jesus. Oh, they, start, they start saying, oh, well, you, you're, who, who are you to say this? You know, you can't be your own witness. Yeah, that was a funny thing. Yeah, we talked about it yesterday. You can't be your own witness. And we thought, wait a minute. 
You just said he's the light. So how does a light need a witness? In fact, that was the funny thing about this class is how do we shed some light on this theme of Jesus being the light of the world? I mean, that's just silly to even think about. But even a light, if one of these light bulbs said, you know, we pointed out and said, you need a witness to say that you exist. It just doesn't make any sense. But that's exactly what happens next, is the, the teacher said, we want you to have a witness. And there's this whole debate where Jesus is illuminating their understanding or comprehension of, of who he is. And then that's followed by chapter 9, where there's a blind man. And Jesus puts mud on his eyes, and he's healed. And we've already gone through, I think, that story before. Uh, the point is, you'll see where Jesus will do something, or he'll say something, that is unbelievable. I am the light of the world. And then he'll do these things that are undeniable. We'll get into that in a future, <laughs> a future class. Uh, but in this case, uh, you'll see that light is going to show up in all these places across John. The, the real question then for us is, as you go back and you read through John, and you see light in the prologue, you'll see it in his conversation with Nicodemus, you'll see it as he's illuminating uh, the lives of people throughout, you'll see it clearly here in 8 and, and, and going on. Uh, but what, what does that matter? So what? Uh, if you read through this and then you come to realize Jesus is the light of the world, what, what difference does that make? Uh, and I think Paul is going to spend a lot of time elaborating on what that means. Um, if you go to Ephesians 5, verse 9, um, Paul tells you exactly what... Sorry, verse uh, eight, eight. 8, yeah. Um, oh my goodness, I'm in the wrong spot. Um, Ephesians 5, sorry. Ephesians 5, 9, he'll say, For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then you're immediately supposed to connect that with Galatians, where he talks about what the fruit of the Spirit is. So, again reshaping the way you see the word light when jesus talks about i am the light of the world he's essentially saying all of these things about what the spirit is and what he brings into the world i am kindness i am goodness i am faithfulness i am peace i am self-control i am long-suffering i am goodness i am faithfulness he's all these things built into this one word and so we say well what are we supposed to do with that you will know them by their love we're told and so as you start to to have the light of Christ shine on you, you by nature start to show these characteristics because it's un- you can't help it. It's now part of your nature. As you are brought into, as you become a child of God, not by the blood of man or by the will of man or by your heritage, but because God brings you in, you are now introduced into this light. You're made a child of that light and you, are, you have now the ability to partake in all of the things that that light can do for you. And so people who who have this greater understanding of who Jesus is, who wants to follow them with all of their hearts, they exhibit these traits not because they feel forced to, but because they can't help it. It's, a, it's, a, it's an outpouring of an inward transformation that they've had. I mean, you, you hear all the time, we're, we're told, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a continual process. You spend time at it. I know I've often found myself frustrated because it's like, how come, you know, day one, I'm not like, you know, the, the greatest Christian that ever lived because it doesn't work that way. Everything took time. Everything takes, takes study and meditation and effort. Um, it's, it's, it doesn't just miraculously happen to you overnight, but you have to put energy into it. You're given a free gift, but you, can't, you don't just sit there and, and do nothing. You have to receive it and spend time with that gift and let it affect you. So you're, you're saying that just like light maybe has these properties of wavelength and frequency, that the light we're talking about has characteristics or qualities, and that is goodness. 
truths. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we would, be, we would be arrogant to think that the light of Christ isn't as diverse as the light that we can study and research in a lab. Because again, everything in this world represents something that's more real beyond ourselves. So how do I get access to that, that life-changing thing here we've talked about called light? <laughs> I mean, John hits it on the head. He, he tells you, you follow Jesus. And when you do so, you will have life in his name. There is no other option. Um, there is no other pathway. The, the, personal, <laughs> the personal relationship with Christ Jesus, the human resurrected Jesus, is the only way. And it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. I think for most of us it's a struggle. Because it's hard to... It's hard to believe some days. It's not always easy. Um, and you're not meant to just read these, these words and use them as like devotional one-liners. You know, throw it out. Oh, this sounds like a good meme or a good bumper sticker. You're meant to like to wrestle with it, to spend time on it, to have it mess with your head. What does this mean? Because um, Jesus turned, Jesus took the world in which we lived in, came into it, and seemed to do almost the opposite of what everyone else was doing. But he didn't do it um, with picket signs. He didn't do it with megaphones. He did it because it was, a, it was his nature. It was who he was. And then as he becomes the resurrected, resurrected Savior, he's saying, you can do all these things too, not out of obligation, but out of desire, out of real want. And I'm going to plug it because I told you I would. Uh, you didn't realize that you have an author in your midst. Uh, Brother Lawrence has written a book. It's called House of Jesus. And he won't say it, but I will. It was a powerful book for me because it goes through the life of a man who was blind. He was living in darkness, and he saw a light. Um, and it's a beautiful story, and I would recommend it to anyone to read because uh, it had personal ramifications for my own life. Um, and, and, and to see people's lives change because this light of Christ shines on them is wonderful. It's amazing. And it's something that we should not be shy of sharing, not be shy of, of testifying about, and not even in an evangelistic point of view, but because you can't help it. You're, they will know you by your good deeds because you good good deeds because you don't know what else to do. And the light is turned on. Is that the second bell? Yeah. It was. Sorry. Okay, do you see why we get texts from our family <laughs> saying, where are you guys? Well, let's honor your time. Well, hopefully you've caught the point. And that is, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he says the same thing John wants you to hear. Jesus looks at you and says, follow me and you won't walk in darkness. We'll leave it with there this week. It's not about the application. It's about the transformation that occurs when you follow Jesus. Thank you. Let's prepare for worship.